On today's episode, see how Minecraft can make coding accessible to all communities. Find out ways to promote digital citizenship with your students and see if you know your edtech platforms with our game of two truths and a lie. Welcome in everybody to another episode of EdTech Bites. Mike Cecilia, Kelly Berneri, and Kim Lantrup back with you and ready to dive into everything related in the world of education and educational technology. Follow us on Twitter at DCPS EdTech Bites to join the conversation. Kelly and Kim, I'd like to say welcome back from FETC. You guys just got back from New Orleans. You had a great time. How was the experience for you all? Great. We um we had an awesome experience presenting. Um to during our roundtable was really great. We had the chance to connect with um, a group from Maryland uh -huh. um, that does similar work to us. And so we're excited about the collaboration that can take place there. And we passed out a ton of stickers. So welcome to all of our new followers um, and listeners. Thanks to um, FETC and making all those new connections. Yeah, it was a great time. We also had a lot of people come with different interests mm -hmm. in what we're doing, asked a lot of great questions. Um, some people from Atlanta, pretty much all over the place. We went to some really great sessions where we got a lot of good information. And then as a team, we kind of explored the city. We did a ghost tour, which was super fun. Very cold, yes. but very fun. And we learned some really great stories about New Orleans. So we really missed you, though, while we were gone. Yeah, I'm just holding down the fort by myself over here. It was kind of boring and isolating. I was like, this is why I can't work from home, because I can't <laughs> turn around and talk to anybody. Um, and I'm really looking forward to going to ISTE in June in Philly. Yeah, That'll be, be the next awesome. trip that we take together. So that'll be really fun. Well, we have a packed show planned for you all. Starting like always with our appetizer, we'll be talking with technology specialist Nadine Ebry about her work with Minecraft and students' access to coding. Then in the main course, we'll be jumping into our second ISTE standard called Digital Citizen. Finally, we'll finish up in our dessert segment with a game of two truths and a lie. All right, for our appetizer today, we want to welcome on a special guest. She is a member of our technology innovation team. Her name is Nadine Ebry, and we're so glad to have you here with us, Nadine. <laughs> so happy to join you all today. Um, and we just want to go through some of the things that you do for our team, because it's very different than what our team does here in the office. You do something completely different, and it's really applicable to a lot of teachers in our district and can be nationwide. So first off, just tell us a little bit about your experience in education, where you come from, kind of your background. Yeah. Okay. So I first started off as an elementary school teacher. I went to school to be an educator, teach elementary education. Initially, I wanted to teach math. However, my advisor told me, don't go into math because you're going to have to take all these hard math classes <laughs> and they're going to be extremely hard. And if you're going to do all those math classes, you might as well just be like a doctor or something else. <laughs> so I actually let that steer me away. And I just became a general education, like a uh, teacher in elementary. Um, I used to do really well with my kids. Uh, so my principal always had me like loop from year to year. So I had certain kids from for at least five years. Oh, wow. um, and even when I moved schools, my students would usually come with me. Mm -hmm. um, and so I taught everything from uh, kindergarten all the way up to eighth grade. That's so cool. Ooh, yeah. That's a big range. <laughs> yeah. So most recently I taught uh, right before leaving um, the classroom, I taught algebra one. 
And that year I was actually on track to become an AP. I went ahead and got my master's in educational leadership from UNF. And um, I heard about this position, um, but at the same time, I also had a few offers from principals who wanted me to become their assistant principal. So I was like, okay, give me a few weeks and let me just think about it. Um, because I, I was really thinking like, oh my gosh, like I spent so much time just working to become an assistant principal. I don't want to just throw it all away. Um, but just the more I thought about it, I was like, gaming, I don't consider myself a gamer. Like I'm not great with games. Like what type of impact could I make here? But after coming here, like the rest is history. I felt like I really did uh, learn a lot, especially from you, Kelly, just mm -hmm. uh, teaching me like uh, just about Minecraft because um, she, you know, she was like an expert and I was able to like learn and become an expert too. So Yeah, you are. And you're making a tremendous impact. I think a larger impact even than what was envis envisioned when this position was created. Thank you. It's so true. <laughs> it is true. You've done amazing things with this program. And I just want to back up a step because I don't even think I mentioned that you are the facilitator of our Minecraft lab here. I know we've mentioned it on other episodes mm -hmm. before, but for those that don't know, Nadine does, is the facilitator of our Minecraft lab in Duval, um, where students come in and they ho she hosts field trips for them. And, and they get to experience Minecraft in an educational setting with an expert and kind of work through different worlds that are directly related to the curriculum. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so I absolutely love being in the Minecraft lab um, because I've always taught in non-traditional ways. So I've always been an advocate for teaching in ways that were just different, um, whether it was through song, whether it was through dance or art or just anything. However, I did not use a lot of gaming while in the classroom. Mm -hmm. And so just being in this position and seeing students being able to learn through games is very like... It's phenomenal, um, just especially seeing students who have varying abilities mm -hmm. being able to learn. Um, you can come into the Minecraft lab and you won't know anything about students. You just see students uh, working together and learning. So if students are partially blind, we have students who came in who are partially uh, deaf, students who speak different languages, like students come in from all backgrounds, varying abilities, and they're all able to play the game because of their immersive features. And I also love it because you can integrate it with whatever you're teaching. Um, so I can use like YouTube videos, my favorite Microsoft Flip videos, um, uh, Microsoft Forms, you can integrate anything within it. So I love just how um, students are able to learn within the game and how teachers can integrate whatever they're teaching within this Minecraft game. And so not only does Nadine facilitate the field trips, but she's also empowering the students as well to step up and take a bigger part in the Minecraft program. So would you tell us a little bit about your ambassador program? Yes. Okay. So um, I recently started a Minecraft student ambassador program at Springfield Middle School, which is a school where our Minecraft lab is housed. And with this program, students are able to help teachers. So students can go into classrooms because really they're the biggest experts. And it took a lot of humbling for me to realize <laughs> because I'm used to being the expert in the classroom. When I taught anything, I knew the most. Um, however, with gaming, it's different because yeah. I don't know the most. I'm not the expert. And it's okay to admit that. And so usually, uh, even when I start off classes, I'm going off on a little bit of a tangent, but I'll, I'll come back. I'll come back. Um, Tangents are what podcasts are born on. Yeah. yeah. But whenever I start like a field trip, I always ask students, like, put up a zero if you never played before. Put up a one if you feel like, oh, I'm kind of okay. And I go all the way up. I say, put a four if you are really, really good. And put a five if you think you play better than me. And then I put a 
are so happy to like throw up the flare up the hands and say, I'm a five, I'm better than you. And I'm happy because I'm like, okay, so now I know who to go to for help. Mm-hmm. So students ask me questions, especially when it comes to uh, like crafting and stuff like that. Or, oh, how do you make rainbow sheep? I don't know, but I'm going to But they're the biggest experts. So it's so important to have experts in the building. So as we're trying to have more teachers integrate um, Minecraft into their instructional practices, how do we have, how do we create leaders, student leaders within within the school who can also help with that? So that's what the student ambassadors, I told y'all to come in. So that's what the student ambassadors are to really um, help the teachers uh, so that they can um, leave those lessons with the teachers or teach them how to uh, use it in the classroom, especially teachers who feel very uncomfortable. In addition to helping teachers, they also work with students. So like in November, they held their first um, parent coding night where they taught parents how to code, which is super cool. We had parents come in from all over. Some um, brought their own parents in, which is super interesting to watch, like them <laughs> yelling at their parents. Um, who yelling? <laughs> like... Because, you know, like they were so impatient, like you should know how to do this. And you can tell how their parents are probably like, you know, working with them. Like you should know how to do this. It's right. like so <laughs> interesting to see the roles like reverse. Uh, but seeing them work with their parents, teaching them how to code. And it's interesting, too, because now parents are able to see what their kids are doing. So as the parents are like watching their kids code, they're like, oh, my gosh, this is the type of stuff that you're doing. The parents were struggling. Um, they were really struggling. A few were using like block based languages and struggling. A few were using like Python. Um, but it was super interesting because parents were able to get immersed in what their kids are learning and also learn how to code themselves, which a lot of them really wanted to learn how to do. And so in addition to that, we also have an upcoming event where students are going into the community for a STEM expo at River City Science Academy, where they have over 5,000 community members who come in who uh, pretty much do different activities and stuff with the kids. Uh, so there's going to be over 5,000 visitors and also tables all over, and we're going to be tabling at that event. So the kids will be there teaching parents, students, community mm-hmm. members, everybody how to code at the tables. So like they're all going to be wearing their MSA shirts, have their laptops and everything. And just as people come up to us, they're going to be teaching them how to code. Such a Love cool experience that. for yeah. them. Yeah. Absolutely. And just those kids must be just so proud that they're out there teaching other people, teaching their parents. Mm -hmm. I mean, because generally, you know, the parents, let me help you with the homework. But so to reverse those roles, that's really cool. And it's a good way to open up the fact that this isn't just a game that students are wasting hours and hours in, but there is academic relation to it. And students are building real world skills while playing. And I love that you said that, Kelly, because I think one of the hardest parts about integrating Minecraft and just bringing it into just the school system is that negative stigma with mm-hmm. games. Like a lot of people don't associate learning with gaming. Uh-huh. Um, and so when you say Minecraft, a lot of times parents like turn off like, nope, you're not playing games in my house or even like principals or leaders or like you shouldn't be playing games in the classroom but it's so important just to show them like how you can learn like like Minecraft literally changed my life like it did I know that sounds like an extreme (laughs) statement I do not work for Microsoft they don't (laughs) pay me to say this but like it it really has like my husband's programmer he always tried to get me into coding Mm -hmm. and he was like Nadine you'll be really good at this the way your brain works the way your brain works leave me alone (laughs) so but he would always say stuff like that and I never wanted to try it it just looked hard never wanted to try it However, my first time trying it was through the Minecraft game. And I was like, 
oh my gosh, I love this. And then I realized I did it again when I was like working on stuff for class. They use a system called R where you can like, um, it's, it's like coding um, to analyze data. And I was like, man, I really love this. And then I went ahead and started to register for a course so I can officially become certified to like just do whatever in Python. <laughs> but I'll have the certification because I just really, really loved it. Um, but it was Minecraft that introduced me to it. So I just really love it because hopefully it'll like pique students' interest and they'll be able to play the game and realize, oh my gosh, I really like this. And I've heard so many like success stories um, just of parents uh, just really struggling to figure out what they wanted their kids to do. And I remember telling Kelly the other day, like one of the success stories I'm laughing because we were like walking across the street and it's like this long paragraph and I'm like trying to oh, yeah. her ass and like walk to me while we're walking. <laughs> and so like there was a parent who sent one of my friends a message and she was like, wait, I know your friend. Like we went into the school and um, my son said that he had a field trip there and uh, pretty much her, her son, long story short, because it's a pretty long story. Her son came to the Minecraft lab for a coding field trip. He really, really liked it, decided to come to the school to pursue coding next year. He's in fifth grade, and he wants to become a programmer That's simply amazing. because of a coding field trip. Right. So wow. it's opening up opportunities for students that can, they can envision themselves on a pathway that otherwise they might not have known existed. Exactly. And we had Jim Colbert on and last season to talk about some of these things of introducing the Minecraft Lab and really to have sort of that vision for the district of bringing in a pathway for students in coding. And it all starts in elementary school with mm -hmm. kids and it really opens up new doors for communities and people that maybe don't have access like women in coding um different community schools that have ever seen these types of programs before mm -hmm. that's the type of cool stuff that we're excited about that you're doing oh thank you <laughs> yeah i absolutely love it i love the pathway uh, really the pipeline um, that we're creating and the pipeline that um jim discussed last time like it's the same pipeline that uh, it's getting even stronger. Like students are getting introduced to it through elementary school. They're enrolling in Springfield Middle School to pursue computer science, hopefully going to schools like Andrew Jackson and mm -hmm. then just pursuing it from there. So it's it's really creating a pipeline and giving students access who normally would not have had it. Right. And you're empowering learners. You're creating all of those skills that we talk about throughout all these episodes right in that lab. And the, the last question I had really for you is, what do you envision the next five years for the lab or see the lab growing or getting more attention? Because you've already gotten some national attention for the lab and what you do there. Yeah, we've gotten, we were in the EdTech magazine. Um, we were also featured in um, a case study for Minecraft Education Edition. So um, the lab has really just made a huge impact. So like my vision, <laughs> um, and also I know others as well, is that, you know, hopefully we can build more labs in Duval mm -hmm. County and also have other labs throughout the world. Uh, we already have gotten a few calls from other districts and we are setting up meetings with other districts who are also building labs and mm -hmm. doing the same thing. So hopefully this will be something that's not just something people go to for a field trip. But hopefully it'll be at every school. Like, mm -hmm. I personally believe that every school should have a lab and this should be a resource mm -hmm. um, because then you start getting into access issues when you do things right. like this. Because who's coming to the lab? Uh, let's say only gifted kids get to come, mm -hmm. right? Um, so when you uh, when you put it at every school, you make it where all students get access to it. Right. And all students are able to go on the field trips as well, rather than, you know, just the teachers who are able to sign up for it or who may be in a space where they can leave their school and go on field trips. So I think another benefit of the lab too is 
when teachers come, a lot of times teachers, and we've experienced this on our team, may be a little uncomfortable with Minecraft because they don't mm -hmm. have a lot of experience there. So then they come and they can see a field trip being facilitated and how well their students are doing. And it really empowers the teachers too. Well, maybe I can take this back and do it in my classroom. So it's really providing the reach across the county. And we've had some teachers who got really good at Minecraft who are sharing it with other teachers in their schools. So you're kind of that jumping off point to really empower the teachers, not only just the students, which I think is awesome. Yeah. yeah. We heard a lot of stories like that. Um, there was one teacher in particular who came into a field trip for the first time for, uh, who came into the Minecraft lab for a field trip for the first time. And after coming in, she showed the rest of the teachers at her school. So it just takes one. And then that one teacher going back and being like, you know, sharing it with the rest of them as well and seeing how to integrate it. And that also brings up a point where when they get to come into the lab, I also show them like, okay, here's how you access educator resources. Here's how you can go online. Just show them different things so that they have that as well. And also we use Microsoft bookings. So it sends them all the information on how to continue using it within their classroom. So it's not just a one and done field trip. Mm -hmm. It's a way for them to continue to have access to it and we also send them lessons as well so like last week we did a coding lesson and teachers like well i could only bring one class but i really want to do this with the rest of my classes so i was like sure went ahead and like sent her um my powerpoint so that she can go ahead and use it with her students and she can go ahead and go through the lesson and continue using it with the rest of the kids that's awesome that's yeah awesome. All right, so we just want to thank Nadine again for coming on to our podcast. Where can people find you online and maybe access some more resources that you have? Okay, yeah. So if you want to find me online, I am on Twitter. So it's at Nadine Ebrim, just my first and last name. Thanks okay. so much. All right, so jumping into our main course, we're going to be diving back into the ISTE standards. And if you were here with us for episode two, we talked all about Empowered Learner, which is the ISTE Standard 1, and Kim's going to give us a little refresher on that standard. Okay, if you were not here for Episode 2, just a real quick rundown of the domain Empowered Learner. This domain's basically about having students take a more active role in their own learning. So all of the four standards that are included here are all centered around setting personal learning goals, leveraging technology to achieve those goals, while also learning to understand the fundamentals of technology operations and to show that they can choose, use, and troubleshoot that current technology. So the hope with that is that students will be able to then transfer that knowledge to new and emerging technology. Yeah, and then a big part of that is how are we safe while using this technology? How do how are we teaching our kids the best practices while using them? That's what digital citizenship is all about, which Kelly is going to yeah. summarize for us. So I want to start by just saying like how much I love that digital citizenship is part of the ISTE standards. Yeah. Uh -huh. I went back to try to think of like what we can connect it to when we were focusing on 21 CLD. And then I realized, oh, digital citizenship isn't in 21 CLD. Yeah, it's not. Um, so I think that was interesting because it should be, um, probably. And but, it's an early standard too here. It's like the second one, which yeah, is cool. Which it should be because as I was thinking about it, you know, we spend a lot of time in our classrooms teaching students how to be good citizens in our class, like the routines, how to communicate and collaborate with each other in our classroom, in groups and discussions. But how much of an emphasis are we doing to transfer those skills to the digital world. Mm -hmm. So just to go over like the standard itself for those that are unfamiliar with it, um, the overarching standard is that students recognize the rights, responsibilities, and opportunities of living, learning, and working in an interconnected digital world. And they act and model in ways that are safe, legal, and ethical, but then the standard is broken down into substandards as well. and 
I really like some of the things that are focused on in those substandards. So the first one talks about um, cultivating their digital identity and reputation and are aware of the permanence of their actions in a digital world. And I think especially once our students are in like middle school, maybe they start to realize that in high school, but in middle school, they definitely aren't thinking future minded and don't realize how what they're posting on social media at this early age can impact their ability to get jobs later on in life. Um, so I think that's a really, really important one. And then engaging in positive, safe, legal and ethical behavior, which is another thing students aren't necessarily aware of, the legality and ethics behind what they do uh, interacting with each other online. Um, and then also when using network devices, like what rules change even more when they're on district owned or school owned devices versus their personal devices. And then understanding and respecting the rights and obligations of using and sharing intellectual property, which goes into copyright, but goes into so much more. So even if they're using an image that they found online, how to cite that properly mm -hmm. um, and use those things properly and not stealing from others. And then managing personal data and maintaining digital privacy and security and are aware of data collection technology, which is all very important and definitely skills that can translate into the real world as they become uh, productive adult citizens in the world. Yeah, I, going back to what you said originally about like setting your routines, when I was thinking about this topic, I was thinking in my classroom, how much time, I remember the beginning of the year was always like, oh, spend a few days, mm -hmm. you know, make sure you have your rules set, have your kids even participate in that rule setting, post it on the wall and make sure everyone is aware of it and, and feels like there's a buy-in. You spend so much time in the real world setting up these rules and the procedures, but did I spend that much time when I had an assignment in OneNote right. or uh -huh. in Teams? Or did we even talk about social media outside of school and like their responsibility in that regard? Did we talk about cyberbullying and what their roles and responsibilities are in that arena? We did like we like touched, touched on it, on, touched yeah. on it. Yeah. Like, oh, you made a bad comment. Don't do that. Right. But it wasn't it was always in response to and not set up to be successful. And that's what I wish I could go back to do some of this stuff, some of these lessons where you can actually kind of walk your kids through these scenarios mm -hmm. and have them better understand what their responsibility is digitally. And on that note, um, I read a really great article. It was from someone called Kristen Matson, and it was all about digital citizenship. And this one quote really stood out to me, kind of the same vein that you were talking about is, you know, we set it up in the beginning. And she said that too much of dig digital citizenship curricula focuses on what not to do. And it rarely addresses the opportunities and responsibilities of the digital world. And so a lot of times, much of it's isolated from any real context and doesn't give students many opportunities to practice their skills as citizens of digital communities. And I thought that was so true. How many times do you say, don't do this, or don't say that, or don't bully, or don't do this, but instead turn that into a positive and say to them, okay, how can we develop a, a positive online presence and an effective online presence that's going to be helpful to people out in the community rather than you shouldn't say a mean thing online and, and good. So I thought right. that really spoke to me, really kind of switching the mindset to more of a positive, here's what you should be doing to really be an effective digital citizen. I like that a lot. Yeah. And like ISTE has these, um, these examples, these video examples with mm -hmm. their standards. And the first one, which goes over, as Kelly mentioned, um, being uh, their digital identity and reputation aware of the permanence of their actions in the digital world. It talked, the example was a restorative justice circle and how actions have consequences. And that's what you got into, Kim, which is like working with students when mistakes are made, but also like setting those 
guidelines for students, like right. having them understand like what you can and cannot do is important. I found a, a, a throughout all my research, because I love to read about everything, obviously to prepare for our podcast before you get started. But one activity that I found was having sentence frames to help students with respectful online responses. Hmm. And that made me think, because, you know, I come from the land of the littles. And so it made me think even our youngest learners, because we're our hope is. If we start when they're young, yeah. they're really going to be yeah. productive citizens and really can take that technology to the next level as they progress through school. So even just having different scenarios and a sentence frame. So, for example, one of them was a digital citizen wants to present a new idea that is rooted in evidence but may seem controversial. So the sentence frame said, according to blank, we should think about blank in this way. Just ways to be more positive and mm. how to deal with different situations that come up in various and those are the kind of things that we would have for Uh students if they're having a class discussion doing a socratic seminar here's our sentence stems for Uh having productive conversation but i don't know why we don't provide those same types of resources for communicating and working in digital platforms yeah we just don't value it right we don't see it as a value and maybe it's maybe it's because we're not doing the but we don't feel like we're doing the bulk of our work digitally Mm -hmm. so maybe because of that we, it's the same reason why we don't sometimes take cyberbullying as as important as just regular bullying because mm-hmm. it's in your face. You see it. You know the perpetrator. You see the actions, the consequences of those actions. But when it's done digitally, we don't see it or it's distant or it happened mm-hmm. and now it's gone. Right. But these are things that we need to address in order to be productive online. Going to what Kim was saying and developing kind of lessons, I found a, a great website called commonsense.org and it has a free digital citizenship curriculum. And it's broken down by grade chunk. So it has like K2, 3, 5, K8, 9, 12. But within that, it actually goes down by grade. And each grade has certain curriculum that it says this is age appropriate for you to go over with your kids. So I just jumped into the land of the littles, as you call it. (laughs) Which, by the way, I always think of dinosaurs whenever you say the land of. I don't know why. But the land of third grade. um, And I looked at materials for third graders because I don't know what third graders should or should not know. And it had topics like how to create a strong password, the power of our words, um, is seeing believing, which goes into looking at how and why people alter photos and videos, mm. which, you know, is, is a high concept when you think about it. But for kids, they, they can understand why someone would want to edit the photo. They're probably doing it on their parents' right. phones all the time. Like, oh, I want this filter. Mm. Why do we do those sorts of things? Why do people do that online? You know, what is the impact that that makes? So those types of conversations could easily be had with kids, you yeah. know, young grades too. And I think that they need to be embedded in everything, every technological thing we're doing throughout the year. Right. You know, it's important to reference those in the beginning of the year with rules and routines, but you need to always kind of bring them back to that because, you know, kids will forget as they move on, yeah. especially if they're at home doing something on social media or doing something that's not school related, that may not always stay in their mind. Right. And I think a big part of that is, is we might teach them what the mm-hmm. not to do's, mm-hmm. but are we taking the little bit of extra time to explain why, like yeah. to explain why that's important and to make those real world connections to like, that's not just important for here for this activity in this class, but we're practicing the skill here in this activity in this class because you need to be doing these same things in the real world when you, you know, 
are collaborating with your people that you work with when you uh-huh. become a grown up. And that is 21st CLD, real world is. problem yeah. solving. There we and go. And collaboration we as yeah. well, which when I looked, that's where we connected it in our SD program. We connected digital citizenship to collaboration. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah. And when I, I think when you approach these types of topics with your kids, it's always good. And this is this is just a strategy for having relationships with your students, understanding from your faults too. Like, mm-hmm. what do I sort of overlook as a digital citizen? I know for me, I overlook terms of service all the time. Yeah, I just skim. I don't even look at it. You just agree, right? You don't know even what's in there. But when you actually break down what's in those terms of services, you are sometimes giving away information to third party affiliates. You're sometimes, you know, opting out. You're opting into sharing or how you are agreeing on your rights of your words. Like social mm-hmm. media applications can use your words without your permission because right. you've signed over those terms of services. So as an activity, you know, that for high school, maybe like actually breaking down one of those terms of services, mm-hmm. looking for key terms that they can understand to say, are you comfortable with this? Right. If someone uses your photo, are you right. comfortable with that and not giving you any kind of compensation or what they're using it for? And just to kind of mention a couple other resources out there for addressing these topics with students, there's another platform, and I know, Kim, you know about it, cyber.org, where they have completely free curriculum for all grade levels, K through 12, and it does address like even just password security, Uh um, kind of even ways that you can be tricked into Mm -hmm. giving out your security question answers to yeah. people and things like that. And, but it's more focused on cybersecurity, but does have little aspects of digital citizenship kind of embedded throughout their curriculum. Um, and it is entirely free provided that like, it's funded through a grant. It's a pretty cool um, program. If you're interested to it's check it out. K-12 too, isn't uh, it? it? So is it goes K- all the way yeah. up. It goes all the way up and it's all leveled completely across the board. So every grade level is completely different. Another one I saw that was less curriculum and more just like a snapshot, which I thought could be helpful for maybe a classroom just to have a poster, is on digitalcitizenship.net. It is a progression chart, and it organizes various elements like digital access, communication, or commerce, and it has sub-concepts within that breaks down what students should know by grade level. Mm -hmm. So it'll help you as a teacher saying, okay, these are my kids. Here's Here's some things I should be bringing up. Maybe just... Maybe not even have a lesson, but intertwined with what you're teaching. Like if we're doing something online, okay, I should have this conversation with my kids based on this chart here. So you, it's constantly kind of in your mind. That's nice. Yeah. Uh-huh. And I did see that I, all these um, domains that we're talking about are from ISTE. ISTE does also have its own course. It's in ISTE-U. It's called Teaching Digital Citizenship Across Content Areas. But the only thing with that one, it does have a cost to it. So I just wanted to yeah. put that out there. Sure. Um, but it gives you a lot of different activities and ideas for teaching that as well. But there are plenty of different things out there that are free as well. Yeah. And there is one, Minecraft actually has a really cool world that is digital citizenship oh. and it's like um, an immersive experience into the why behind hmm. some of these different th- ideas, especially with like the one, when I went through it, the one that was most impactful to me was related to the intellectual property um, to kind of give you an idea of how it feels when somebody takes what is yours. Um, so That's smart to go about it that route. Right. And so that. you, the player, you're in this competition and you're building something and you're build, building against the robot. So this robot's also building, but they're building exactly what you're building <laughs> and they end up winning. Oh, I love that. And so then like 
you're you're mad because right? you know yeah. that that's your you were built that's your yeah. build <laughs> so it's really frustrating and there's um another one where you're building and this like the robot is telling you how awful everything you're doing is and just like picking up oh, really that's what you want to do like picking out like and it makes you feel like kind of bad yeah, about what you're, sure. so then you kind of get that immersive experience of how you should treat others online yeah empathy mm-hmm. yeah I want to play those. I, I do want. too. I'm like, after this, we're going to go back and have a little competition. <laughs> I had my students uh, as extra credit watch The Social Dilemma on Netflix. They're high schoolers, 11th graders. Um, and it kind of talks about how social media companies can use you as the product, essentially. They're trying to keep you engaged through social media so that they can sell you things, so mm-hmm. they can keep you know advertisement streams up and things like that and use information in AI against you, really. So that was one just to as an eye opener to look at what is their footprint online? What are they actually what actually do they have? Because we all notice the targeted ads that come up on Instagram and Facebook and Mm -hmm. Twitter and things like that. And kids don't really have a grasp of the impact that makes on them. Right. Uh So it just gets them to think about it. And we, we ended up doing like a little like essay on it and talk about it. And we had a discussion about it. And it was really, really productive because the kids that had knew nothing about it ended up taking away that maybe this, maybe I need to be a little bit more careful what I do online because it, it matters. It's not just me and my friends. It's so true because nowadays, whenever you go and apply for a job, they're looking at everything about you. And I've read so many stories about people so excited that they had a job and then they posted something on social media and boom, job disappears. So you really do have to be cautious. And like you said, kids don't think about that ahead of time, but they certainly think about social media. So yeah, it, it, gets them, it gets them thinking about it. And I think for our Twitter, I, we should put together some resources, maybe in a wakelet and put that out on our Twitter. Some of these websites that we've yeah. mentioned, just so that you can start to think about, maybe I can, you know, cherry pick some things to bring up with my kids, regardless of where they're at in the grade level. And if you have some great ideas, we would love for you to add them to our wakelet so we can just all learn from each other. Yeah, yeah that would be awesome. great. Okay, with all that out of the way on digital citizenship, let's move right into the dessert. So for our dessert today, we thought about doing something we haven't done before, which is called Two Truths and a Lie, the classic game that you all know. We're going to start off with something in our own lives, something personal, maybe something family related, something that we've experienced. And they're going to read off three statements. The other two hosts are going to talk it out and see if we can identify the lie of those three statements. And if we do, obviously, those two win that round. <laughs> and we're going to go in clockwise order. We're going to do our personal one first. And then after we all go, we're going to do some ed tech ones so that we can kind of dive into some of these applications that we've maybe not talked about as much. <laughs> so we're going to start with Kim. And okay. she's going to give us her three statements. And Kelly and I are going to try to break it down. I just have to tell you, I had more trouble coming up with the personal ones because we have worked together for a little bit now. And yeah. so obviously, we tell a lot of stories. So... It was tough for me to come up with these, but all right, here goes. My first statement is, I was teacher of the year for Penn State University. I recently became an aunt to a new baby piglet named Charlotte, along with my goat nieces, Chevelle, Turbo, and Charger at my nephew's house. (laughs) And my last one is, I've been skydiving, scuba diving, and windsurfing. Okay, so (laughs) a couple things. Yeah. I know she was teacher of the year... Somewhere. Somewhere. But I I thought it was for, uh, I I thought it was for the state of Pennsylvania, but maybe, maybe it was Penn State. Maybe that one is true. 
Maybe. I know we, there's truth in that statement. Yes, <laughs> I know. What about the piglet thing? Because on the last episode, she talked about... I know she wants a piglet. Wanted a piglet. And said she wanted to convince her friend to get one. Right. My nephew. Yeah, because <laughs> they already have a ton of animals, like the, the goats. But I don't know if that actually happened. I'm not saying a word. That, hmm... And the last one was the windsurfing, kite surfing, kite... skydiving, scuba diving, and windsurfing. I know scuba diving's true. Uh huh. And I know you've done windsurfing, haven't you? I'm not saying a word. But I don't know. You've taught. I know you've, we've talked about skydiving, <laughs> but I don't know that you've oh, done man. it. Or... These are good, Cam. These are good. <laughs> I thought these were going to be so easy. I've talked about because I've been skydiving. Well, we talked about. Everybody talked about skydiving when we were in FETC. Oh. We all talked about it. Well, I was listening while everybody else was talking about it. Obviously not that well, but. <laughs> I remember Kim saying something that if she went skydiving, she might break every bone in her right. body. That's what I recall as well. <laughs> Which, to be fair, probably would happen. <laughs> hmm. I'm between the piglet or the last one because of skydiving or because we just talked about the fact that she wishes trying to convince somebody to get a pig. So I don't yeah. know. I don't know that, that there is a baby pig yet. Yeah. Or is there? Now I'm trying to remember. Did you show me a picture of a baby pig? <laughs> I'm not telling. I'm going to go with skydiving is going to be my... I'll, 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 I'll second that. We're going to go with option C. Incorrect. Yes! <laughs> I have been skydiving. You ate something before you went sky... No, that no. was Ashley. No, I didn't eat anything. But that was in the same conversation where yeah. I said my mom for her 50th birthday went skydiving and we all got matching tattoos. But I okay. went skydiving on Mother's Day. Um, I was teacher of the year at Penn State. It was a pig! <laughs> and I don't have a pig! <laughs> I'm still working that angle, though. That's a possibility, because they want a pig, we just haven't gotten there yet. Oh, okay. man, we were so close! Yeah. You did have a lot of good points, though. You were very close. You were right on Did it. you break anything when you went skydiving? I did not. I landed successfully. I'll show you the video. I have it on a CD. <laughs> hmm. That's All good. Right, Kelly, okay. All right, so my three. In seventh grade, I had to write an autobiography in which I wrote about my life as a dolphin trainer who ended up getting murdered while trying to catch a dolphin poacher. Um, I can see Kelly I totally can <laughs> I was a preschool teacher right after I graduated high school and lost that job due to hurricane damage causing the school to close. Mm. In my third year of teaching, I successfully directed 86th through 8th grade students as they collaboratively wrote, acted, and filmed an almost 15-minute short film about the middle school experience. Ooh. That one could be true because she majored in theater, so she could have done something. These are with her all kids. very plausible for Kelly. Right. Which is And I good, feel like good. they're all mostly true and she changed like one word. Maybe. <laughs> so the preschool okay. one, I don't remember her saying anything about preschool teaching. I don't either. But I can see her being a preschool teacher and the hurricane thing is false. Mm -hmm. But she did grow up in South Florida. Where she was. Where we talked on. about hurricane issues before. Mm -hmm. Mm, These Kelly. are good too. These are good too. That is good. What was the third one? The preschool, the play, and, and my, the the autobiography. Oh, the autobiography. I could see her. She is such a buck against the system girl. Man, mm. what do you think, Mike? My gut is telling me it's B. The preschool, it's the preschool and the hurricane. One. I agree. Let's do that one. I say that one. Okay, we're gonna go with B. You got it right. Yes. <gasps> 
I was a preschool teacher. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but I lost a job because I quit. <laughs> you didn't really lose it then. You <laughs> I quit. Because I got in trouble for coddling my two-year-olds. Oh. Oh, that's ridiculous, okay. but okay. Yeah, I kept getting in trouble. Well, you don't hold don't hold him. You gotta let him just cry it out. I couldn't do it. Couldn't. I wouldn't be great at that You loved too, too much. I loved too much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I am not surprised about the autobiography, though. Here's my autobiography. Someone I was still murdered. Have it. <laughs> <laughs> I was murdered. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. All right. So it's up to me here. Um, this is... Family Heritage Edition of Two Truths and a Lie. Oh, geez. So the first statement. My daughter, Raylan, can have her lineage traced back to royalty. She is a descendant of King Charles VII of France in the 15th century and his mistress, who together they had several illegitimate kids. Scandalous! (laughs) My great-grandfather on my father's Italian side, who we all knew had ties to the mafia, Immigrated from Italy as a child in the early 1880s, lived in Brooklyn, was a student there, and became friends with Al Capone before Capone moved to Chicago in 1919. How are we going to get to any of these, Mike? (laughs) And then the last one. It's a great story. I know. I'm like really invested. The last one. I have a great, great uncle on my mom's Irish side who emigrated from Queenstown, Ireland in 1912 as a poor immigrant trying to get to the United States, who died on the Titanic. I say it's either Titanic or Al Capone. <laughs> this is this is impossible, because there's no way we would have any clue about any of these. <laughs> what in the world, Michael? <laughs> what do you think? I have no discussion points for this, because I'm going to go with Titanic. Uh, yeah, let's go with Titanic. That is incorrect. Uh, which one is correct? <laughs> which one's the lie? So the lie is Al Capone. Okay. Uh, All right. We were almost yeah. there. I did have a great grandfather who did immigrate from Italy, who might or might not have had ties to the mafia, uh, <laughs> but didn't know Capone. But we can trace. And the, the reason I, I knew the first one is because I just got off the phone with my wife's grandfather, who's 93, who is very into like family lineage. Mm-hmm. And, and I was like... So, Pop, I heard that we have, like, a connection to some king. And he's like, oh, yes. Uh, we can we can accurately trace back from my side of the family. So that would be Raylan's side of the family. Uh, king King uh, Charles, the, he's, he's the, he's the, King Charles VII of France, the 15th century. And he was going on was and so on. so proud to on share. On and on and on. I was like, I'm going to use that today in my podcast. Oh, <laughs> that's, that's funny. Cute. And, yeah, we did have a family member who died on the Titanic. He wow. was an Irish immigrant. And... When they were coming over from uh, Ireland, if they were poor, they got a third-class ticket. Mm-hmm. So if you watch the movies, a lot of those third-class passengers were stuck in steerage, which on the Titanic was actually pretty nice, considering it's steerage and it's not mm-hmm. a very high-class ticket. But certain parts of the ship were locked. When the ship hit the iceberg, it actually ran into... They didn't realize the problems it was going to have. Mm-hmm. They didn't realize the consequence of that problem. And they responded so slowly that they couldn't unlock a lot of the gates that would cause oh, wow. about 75% of the people on Search to die. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. So that's, that's my family heritage. <laughs> Aren't you fancy? Super fun. Now we're going to jump into EdTech, Truth, Truth, and a Lie. So same principles. We'll start with Kim again. Okay. Three statements about a EdTech platform or website or application. And then the other two people, the other two hosts are going to have to try to figure out which one of those is the lie. 
Okay. Well, I'm going to start with the platform that we have used quite a bit, but as I dug into it, I found some different things about it that I wasn't really familiar with. Mm -hmm. So the platform that I'm going to start with is Padlet. So here are my three statements. You can see when someone posts to a Padlet through email notifications. You can view your Padlet as a slideshow where the options to save your Padlet include three ways, as an image, a PDF, or a CSV file. I don't know any of I am, these. Oh my gosh, I was just going to say the same thing. I should have looked at Padlet. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, as I started reading it, I was like, oh my goodness, oh, that's cool. Oh, this is cool. So. Okay, so notifications through email. Mm -hmm. I believe that one. That's pretty, I think that's pretty it's standard, plausible. right? That's yeah. pretty plausible. The second one is... View your Padlet as a slideshow. That one... If that's true, I had no idea that you could do that in a Padlet. But it makes sense because it's cards. It's Padlet cards, right? Is it? Like, that's how you, that's what they call them that you, whenever you put something there. Kind of like I'm, a wakelet. I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> kind of like a wakelet, but. Or like a swag. Okay, so. And then the last one, you can save your Padlet in three ways as an image, a PDF, or a CSV file. The CSV file seems like it doesn't make sense, though. Because isn't CSV just data? Like, like, it's what I think of as, like, an Excel. Excel. Yeah. And, you, I mean, you can put images. That'd be a sneaky thing for Kim to do. <laughs> Evil laugh. That would be, yeah, that's a good catch. I mean, I could be totally wrong. But the first two seem plausible enough that I wouldn't be shocked if it is yeah. the CSV one. Let's go with that. Okay. All right, we're going with that. You are correct. You can also save it as an Excel spreadsheet. I should have taken You can. It. Yes. Wow. I should have taken the CSV part out. I didn't catch that. <laughs> but the email notifications were new as of January 2023. That oh, was never wow. before. And you can see it as a slideshow. That's really and then you cool. can also download a link to the slideshow to share with other places. So if you have kids use it and put their ideas, then you could present it to the whole class as a slideshow, which I thought was so neat. That is really cool. Yeah, yeah I like that. Hmm. All right. Minecraft education <laughs> is right. mine. Um, all right. This is probably going to be way too easy for you guys, but I feel like I there are so. some things that people in the outside world might not know about it. Okay. Okay. So one, a flip camera is integrated directly into the platform as a form of assessment. Teachers can assign standard aligned lessons from both the in-game in library and the website library directly to Microsoft Teams. Students can use a special block to copy and export anything they build in Minecraft as a 3D image. I want to say the 3D image. What was the first one again? Yeah, uh, flip camera is integrated directly into the platform as a form of assessment. Okay, I know that's true. Mm -hmm. Read the second one again. I might, may or may not have zoned out. <laughs> it's the sharing it with Teams. Okay. Yeah, that's sharing with Teams. Yes, you can do that. I know you can put the world in Teams because. Okay, because I know you can. I that. know you can share what you're doing. I just didn't know if it's. Through Teams. I know you can do Teams. Okay, so it has to be last one. Yeah, last one. Nope, we're probably wrong. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> See, you didn't get us. Which one, was it Teams? No, it's uh, the flip camera. What? Meanwhile, I was questioning that, but you seem so sure about that. So <laughs> you can um, add a Flipgrid topic as That's a resource, what I'm but not, not that it's not integrated directly into the platform. That's something that was discussed at one point about potentially coming in the future, huh. but um, is not currently there, like having a special block gotcha. specifically for Flipgrid camera. Um, but the rest of the things you can do, you can assign directly to Microsoft Teams by posting to a channel, 
or or creating an assignment directly from Minecraft the game uh -huh. or even their website now, which is really cool. Hmm. Um, and then there is a special block. It's called a structure block that oh. you can um, essentially use to highlight, use the coordinates to highlight whatever it is your build is, and then you can export it as a 3D image. That's cool. I didn't know about that. And yeah, that is neat. Yeah, it's really cool. So anything a student can build can be 3D printed, can be manipulated oh. in um, any kind of 3D image we editing need software. To, too. We need to build something and have it 3D printed over here. Yeah. <laughs> that would be so cool. That was great. Very informative. Very informative. <laughs> All right, my uh, application was Kahoot, okay. which is a you know website we've all played in our classroom. They've had a lot of updates, which I didn't know about because I haven't been in the classroom in two years. So here are my three statements. Kahoot has added so many different types of quiz slides, including recording your own video and audio. The second one is, if you kick a student out for using inappropriate name, the next time they log in, their screen that says all set will be red instead of green. Now, while making a Kahoot quiz, you can add info slides in between your question slides to add some direct instruction within your game. What was the first one again? Yeah. The fact that you can add different types of quiz slides, like recording your own video and audio. I know you can add different type of quiz slides. I'm just not sure about the audio and the video. I like the one about the name, but I don't know if that's true or not, where it turns red when they first log in as a kind of a warning for the teacher. Although your face makes me think you're making that up. <laughs> what do you think? I don't know. Those are all good. I just don't know about if it's recording video and audio. If you could do like that if as you're well. Like if you're video yes. and audio? Do you want me to answer the question? Or? Oh, I'm no, we're not allowed to ask questions. Mm. That's what I'm not sure of. I know you can embed, I think, other like YouTube videos or whatnot. But I don't know if it has the ability to do yourself. You can embed others. Right. You should you be should able, but I don't know if it has like a camera capability. You uh, know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And the third one, let's say again. The third one was you can add info slides now oh, between, between your quiz slides. That seems plausible. Sure does. Seems like it would make sense. So which Wouldn't one it? do we want well, to pick? Okay. What was the middle one again? The middle one was um, if you kick a student out for using inappropriate an inappropriate name, the next time they log in, their screen will be red instead of green. Is that true? I don't know. I feel like that wouldn't be true. Because how do you know if it's that same student? That's true. Let's go with that one. Everyone I've guessed today has been wrong. I know, so sorry. are we sure we want to go with? <laughs> well, I don't have a better reason to pick anything else. I would either say one or two would be my guess. Because you don't sign in. You just go follow the link and you put your name. But aren't there classes that you can create on Kahoot? I haven't used it in a very long time. Yeah, I me mean neither. It's been a lot I of feel years. like if there's classes and the students are in there, then they would have some classes. Yeah, I guess that would make sense. But I'm not sure if there's classes or not. <laughs> All right, let's go with number two. Number two is true that, that when you kick a student out, the next time they log in, it will be red. How does really? it know? Yeah, apparently. So when you're like a lot of kids do it on their phone. Mm. So if you kick a kid out. Then if you walk around and you looking at their screens, like, okay, everyone show me your screens. If, it, if it's red, you know that's the kid that got kicked out. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Oh, so it's not the next time they log in. It's just because they had something inappropriate, so it turned red? Well, or no, it's it the, the next, next like, when they put in they another name. They tried to go name. back in and do another yeah. one. Yeah. Okay, I was thinking, I didn't know like, that. the didn't next know. quiz game, like, they came back a day No, it's that same later. session. Gotcha. That, same that session. makes sense. Hmm. Not that I... Because they're still logged into the same session. Right. So the, the game knows. Gotcha. But it's like a very subtle way for the teacher to know and the kid doesn't realize that you know. 
love that. Which is great. But you were right. The lie was the first one. Um, you can record audio. Okay. But you can't record mm. video. And the audio is only available in premium. Gotcha. gotcha. So the, the basic, which is what I'm doing here, is really just the basic one, for the free one for everybody out there. And then you can add info slides, which, which I, love. I didn't know that you could do that either. Because that's, that's really kind of cool. cool. It's kind of like building a lesson instead yeah. of just building the actual game. That is cool. I do like that. Yeah. Cool. So try out Kahoot. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we're back to me. Yeah, we're going to do one more round. Okay, so my second platform is PowerPoint Live. So not PowerPoint, but the live mm. um, version. So my three statements are, your video without any background appears in the bottom right corner of a shared screen. Your participants can translate the captions into over 80 languages. At the conclusion of your presentation, audience members will rate you from one to five in four different areas. Slide design, speaker skill, content, and interaction with the audience. I know if you're recording a PowerPoint, you can have, like if you're recording a PowerPoint presentation, you can have your little picture, your image there, and it doesn't have a background. doesn't have but a background? I don't know if that's necessarily in PowerPoint Live. Yeah, it doesn't have a background. What's the purpose of the no background thing? That's where I'm getting lost. Well, that's kind of like a disadvantage. That it doesn't have a background. Okay, got that's it. That's not an advantage. Okay. Yeah, that was like a, that's like a weird design thing. That I'm like, I don't really understand why that why you wouldn't have a background. Yeah. It's either that one or the rating system. I don't remember that. Like, I think it might have something like Microsoft Teams has, like, well, how was the call quality? Yeah, I don't know. It's the only time I've really done the PowerPoint Live is when Jason did his presentation, oh. <laughs> his demonstration of it. And I don't know that it was like we actually finished the session. Mm. Hmm. Interesting. And see, I did a whole course on it for a whole video how-to on it, which is why I picked this one. <laughs> <laughs> if the, if those are options, that'd be really funny for kids to fill out. Yeah, it would. <laughs> Can you read the options again? Of the the last one? Yeah. Slide design, speaker skill, content, and interaction with the audience. Huh. I like it. But I hope that's a feature. <laughs> so for now, well, I can't ask you clarifying questions. Never mind. Yeah, I think... <laughs> I think it's got to be that one. That seems like too many things. Yeah. I feel like the, my gut is saying the background thing. Cause that, that just feels But I feel weird. like that would just be an option. Yeah. I mean, I feel like having your picture would be an option. I don't think it's just there. Yeah. So C. I, I'm going to let you choose. Let's go time. with C. Incorrect. Oh, man. <laughs> and actually, your video without any background is brand new. It always did have a background. It's called the spotlight feature. So that was the wrong one. N no, that was correct. That's a new, that's a thing too. The lie was there's only sixty languages. Eighty languages. Oh, Kimberly. <laughs> there's not the languages aren't up to where all their other platforms are just yet. But at the conclusion of your, yeah, I did that. was kind of cheating. At the conclusion of your presentation, it pops up a survey and they have to rate one to five stars on all those wow. different areas. And then that prompts an email to you with all of your feedback That's on really how you cool. did on your presentation. I have to reach out to, I, he, I mentioned him on this podcast before, but um, my friend who works at Sandwood, Mr. Matos, he does PowerPoint Live now for all, every PowerPoint. Oh, wow. He does. So I'm so curious because that data you now can use. I mean, yeah. if the kids mm -hmm. are taking it seriously. Right. But like, that's kind of cool that you actually like have information that your kids are rating you when you give information. Like, 
what if something was not clear that you said? Right. You mm-hmm. know, they can kind of dictate that. And, and another way, like for, oh, sorry. Mm-hmm. Like if a student were to use PowerPoint yes. Live when they're doing a presentation and then make it part of the assignment for the peers to do that survey at the end. And another neat thing about PowerPoint Live is while the students are watching, they have the option to add emojis or not emojis. Yeah, emojis on different slides. There's one that's a confused face. There's one that's a surprised face. So they can also be giving that kind of feedback throughout the presentations too. So if you see a bunch of confused faces pop up when you're presenting, you know, oh, you know what? I might need to go back and and adjust what I'm saying or clarify some things. Or stay on this topic a little bit longer. Right. Right. So it really is a great um, platform that I think is underused. And it also has the presenter coach. So kids can practice before they actually go live and do that. So really good. Cool. Good platform. Like Sorry, I didn't mean to cheat a little bit with the uh, 680 <laughs> right. versus 60. It but has 80, not 79. <laughs> <laughs> we know now. Yeah, now we know. Um, so I'm going to do one that we've never talked about um, and I don't think is widely used. A uh, teacher that I used to work with at um, the middle school I worked with, he used it in his classroom all the time. He still does um, currently with high school students. It's called Classcraft. Um, so we'll talk about it a little bit later, but um, I'll go through my truths and lie. Uh, so one, teachers can set up units in the form of quests where students work their way up to the final task and can receive experience points along the way. Two, cool. students can customize their own avatars and be placed in teams and choose roles like guardian, healer, or mage. And three, is integrated with both Google, Google Classroom and Microsoft Teams. Well, I did ask her what this was, and she said it was a way to gamify anything you're doing. <laughs> Doesn't really help us here, though. Well, <laughs> Have I, you don't used know, it? I, I don't know anything about this. Okay. I'm trying to pick out information from one of those statements that I know applies to something else. Okay. So number two talked about the roles, and I know Kelly and I are involved in working with some esports, and I know that one of the games, I can't remember what, it might be Valorant or one of those games. They have those exact roles. So she stole roles from something else, possibly. I mean, maybe, but they also could be in this game. I'm not saying Very they're typical. not in this game, but I'm just... I'm just Very that's, typical kind of roles in yeah, gaming. Yeah, my mind went right to that, like, hmm. I also feel like the third one is true, because generally platforms will support Teams and Google Classroom, you know, just to be more out there for everybody. But if it's not widely used, I could see that being like, a, oh, it, it doesn't actually have integrations. That's why no, it's No, maybe. That yeah, that's true. I really have no idea. Yeah. I've never even heard of this, so. The first one seems like it has to be. That's like, I mean, Mm -hmm. the title of it. What's the title again? Classcraft. Yeah, like World of Warcraft, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's your, which maybe that second one. I say we go with the second one. I really don't have any reason to believe one or the other. Okay, we're going to go with the second one. The second one is true. Oh, man, we're so (laughs) mad at this game. So, like, it's a, when students are setting up their avatars and customizing their character in the game, they can choose their role, huh. and then that can be used to formulate teams okay. um, later on to make sure that they're, you know, they have all the abilities that they would need to help each other out throughout yeah. the year. The lie was integrated with Google Classroom <gasps> and Microsoft and I Teams. I totally felt like that was true. <laughs> but it is fully integrated with Google Classroom. It is, we do have single sign-on through Microsoft, so there's just not that integration hmm. with with Teams. Yeah. Um, but right. it is, it is a partner platform, um, with that, with that, in that sense, that it's single sign on. Right. 
Um, but yeah, it's it's a really cool like way to gamify everything that you're doing in classroom from behavior management to activities units themselves because you can set up every your whole unit, you know. And students go through it like a quest. So they start off at the lesson. If you have like video or whatever instruction, they go through the lesson and then they finish that part of the class, go into a quiz, that part and or it's free. whatever. There are free parts. That are, those things are all free. Um, the cost to get the full version of it is 120 per year, but no limitations. So okay. it's just the full version is the full version. And that just really gives students more options when customizing their avatars. Hmm. Um, cause they're pretty like standard. You can change their clothes with the free version, but you can't fully customize like what color hair, what color skin, those mm -hmm. kind of things as, but the things like, that would make it work from a educational tool, like adding video and lessons yeah, and all that. That's totally free. Yeah. And it even comes with a library full of quests already built for huh. different um, standard neat. align. I gotta activities. play around with that. That sounds awesome. It is pretty cool. Especially with all the research coming out about how the gamification is, such a motivator for kids. Mm -hmm. So that's cool. Um, okay, my last one that we're gonna do is Genially. And if you don't know, Genially is a, it's an online tool that creates interactive and animated content in any form. So it could be presentation, infographic, kind of like Canva, but with interactive elements. So I have three here. I'm gonna, actually, I had two lies. I'm gonna pivot because one of your lies was similar and I'll talk about that later. But here are my three statements. When adding a page to a Genially, you can select a blank page or any Genially template blending presentation with infographics or games. My next one is, when you're ready to publish your Genially, you can publish it online to appear in search engines or privately, just for you and for those you want to share with. And number three, while presenting or viewing, Genially has a show interactive elements button that when clicked highlights all the interactive elements on that page for the viewer. I believe two and three are true. I just used Genially this morning for the pacing guide, but I didn't play with all that. I'm not sure about mixing different types. That would be neat for the first one. You can publish it publicly to a search engine? I believe you. Well, oh, hmm. Now that you say that. Yes, I think so. Because there's something about publishing it as a social page or something like that. Because that would make it like a website. Yeah. I feel like you can do that, though. I might just be making that up. But I, I feel I like know. you can. I haven't really guessed well during this game either. Okay, so the first one, what was the first one again? When adding a page to a Genially, you can select a blank page or any Genially template blending presentations with infographics or games. So multiple different formats within the same Genially. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's That'd be way messy. hard. Yeah. Let's see, we picked that one. Okay. Eh, that Darn is it. true. <laughs> Darn it. So you can do that. Um, it does limit you to the infographics that are available. So, mm -hmm. you know, if there's an infographic that is completely different shape, it might not give you that as an option. Okay. But it does have the ability to add infographics or games within your presentation. Okay. Yeah. And, really and they'll cool. just fit yeah. it to that size, which is cool. Um, the lie was the last one. When you're ready to publish your Genially, you can publish it online. But it's not the lie that you, you guys thought. It's not the search engine thing? It's not that. So actually, under the free account, you only have that option to publish it to search engines. Mm -hmm. You can't you can't privately share it anymore. Really? So the, under the free account, you can't just make it private. It has to be published. And That's then you can use the link to, sh to, to share it with people, but it is public. You can make oh. it so that it's not reusable mm -hmm. and not editable. 
So it's still your content, mm-hmm. but it has to be published. Oh, it can't just be private. Okay. Yeah. So that is, and I found that very interesting. I'm like, that seems like the opposite would be true, right? right? Yeah. yeah. But I also had another one, which was um, when you're editing a presentation in Genially, I didn't know this. You can switch from the like layout, kind of like the regular like PowerPoint view, kind of with the slides on the side to a grid view, which allows you to move around the slides. And you can also add, you can see the transitions for each slide and you can also add passwords to any slide. Oh, that's, that's interesting. Cool. Yeah. So it's really easy if you wanted to make an, an escape room mm-hmm. for your presentations, but it's nice and real viewable. I didn't know that the grid mode even existed. That's cool. Especially with all those interactive elements, that would be a really fun escape room to make. Yeah, yeah. We should do something like that. I know. That would be a lot of fun. So check out all of those different applications or websites for your use and see what you can come up with. And if you'd like to participate in this game with us, with your own two truths and a lie, you can follow us on Twitter at DCPS EdTechBytes or hashtag two truths and a lie DCPS. Thanks so much for joining us today. And remember to follow us on Twitter to keep the conversation going. Until next time, I'm Mike. I'm Kelly. And I'm Kim. Thank you so much for listening to EdTech Bites. Bye-bye.